What's going on, everybody? And welcome to episode seven of the Did You Hear podcast. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Patrick Zhang. And we are so excited to bring you this episode. Pat, we've got Dana O'Neill on this episode of the Did You Hear podcast. I mean, what's more exciting than that? <laughs> One of the most renowned college basketball writers in the country does a phenomenal job for the athletic and she was gracious enough to take the time with us to sit down for 20 minutes and and really talk through things all things big east yeah the the past the present the future we've got it all in this interview as you're listening make sure to hit that subscribe button on itunes follow us on instagram and twitter at did you hear pod so you can get all of our latest updates and yeah just for a, a sneak preview of our about 20-minute conversation with Dana O'Neill. She's got the secret of the Big East. We talked a lot about Big East expansion. She is also releasing a new book in the upcoming months. She had her wildly successful book, Long Shots, that came out after Villanova won its championship a few years back. And now this book has a little bit of a broader scope about the history of the Big East and its expansion. So we're very, very excited and grateful that she was able to spend her time with us and we know that it was awesome and we're excited for you guys to listen yeah we think it was a really great interview so we cannot thank dana enough for taking the time to to sit down with us um like emma said some really great insights there on everything past present and future for big east um and we're pumped for you guys to hear it so please let us know what you think of the interview at did you hear pod on twitter and instagram but before we get to the interview some big news dropped today and that would be that Giannis Antetokounmpo signed the five-year supermax for 228 million dollars to stay in Milwaukee what do we think it's Giannis day everything <laughs> People were hoping and praying for this day. Ty Windish, this is probably the I was just about to shout him out. You have to, like, (laughs) congratulations, Ty. And to people at Blue Wire, because I'm sure Ty is absolutely thrilled that Giannis is staying in Milwaukee. It's exciting. And I think the Bucks proved with the addition of Drew Holiday and their successful offseason that they could handle Giannis and that this was the place for him. And I think they did that. And I truly don't see a loser here. The NBA gets their star locked down in Milwaukee, the biggest contract in NBA history. Giannis is happy. The Bucks are happy. And it, actually, it makes the East more competitive too, which is always a good thing. So part of why I love this is because of how refreshing it is. Because look over it, you know, basically since that summer where LeBron left Cleveland to go to Miami initially, it's all about getting the stars out of where they are and getting them to a new team to form a super team, usually one of the cities on the coast, and try to figure this out. And that is the exact opposite of what Giannis has done. He's staying with the team that drafted him. He's showing a loyalty to them that is very rarely seen in this league nowadays. He's one of the best players in the league, three-time all-defensive player, uh, two-time MVP, four-time all-star. He is very clearly committed to trying to bring that championship to Milwaukee. He trusts in that front office to to make them better, as you talked about, Drew Holiday coming in. They signed Bobby Portis in free agency. The Bogdanovich trade fell through, but with that, they get to keep hold of basically their best bench player and Dante DiVincenzo. So I, I, I love it because it's different, because it's a guy staying where he was drafted and kind of committing to the process there. 
And no, I, I'm not a guy that, you know, kills everyone that leaves to, to join great teammates. I, I understand that. But this is just a different thing. And Giannis is a different breed. And I think that's a really good thing for the NBA is that he stayed in Milwaukee. He stayed in the East and he's going to try and win this thing. Yeah, I think it's a good different because Giannis is different. He's just he's always held himself differently. He, he I actually saw something today. He tweeted in 2017 that he had the loyalty in his DNA and and that carried through and you don't see that a lot anymore, that loyalty and that commitment to teams. So, he's getting the money that he deserves. I still think the Bucks have a little bit more to go to really beat those competitive teams in the West, but this was a long day coming, and now that it finally happened, the uh, affected people get to rejoice, and I think it only brings more good things about contracts. We've also talked about accessibility of players and how that's good for leagues. Giannis broke the news. I, I think it was Instagram, or was it Twitter? I believe it was Instagram. Yeah, so that was how people found out about that news, and I like that he's going out to the fan base first, once again pledging his loyalty and his love for them, and he's going to make things grow in Milwaukee. Listen, I, I think it's a great thing. I, I really do. I think this is this is good for the league when it comes down to it that, that he's staying put. Um, but anything else you want to hit on Giannis? No, I'm good. Let no, it, that's let's it. send it over to the to the interview with Dana O'Neill. Everybody enjoy. And we'll be back after the interview with our craziest number of the weeks. So Dana, thank you again for being here. We're so excited to talk. Big East hoops and, and probably Villanova specifically towards the end. But we wanted to start, we know how passionate you are about the Big East and how long you've been covering it, the conference. We wanted to start with hearing about your new book. We know Long Shots came out a few years back, spoke, focusing specifically on Villanova's championship. But this one has a broader scope about the history of the conference and the expansion. And we'd love to hear just your thoughts on it, the process, if there are any updates about the release? Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, it's funny that you asked because I just actually got uh, this week my manuscript back from my editor uh, with the first edits, and, and they're pretty light, which is great. But uh, yeah, so the book is really basically broad in scope. It's, it's kind of the, the, the Big East Conference a history, but more told in narrative form, if you will. Like I wanted to dig into the stories and the personalities and the behind the scenes chaos, because, you know, I mean, there were just so many personalities and crazy hijinks in that league. Um, and then going through the whole sort of how it died and, and then was reborn. So it's been, I, it's been super fun. I tell everybody that while we were going through all this chaos and stuff in the world, I've been living in like the 1980s. So it's been kind of fun <laughs> to hang out back there. Um, yeah, and the plan is for it to be released in the fall. So kind of right in line for the start of the next basketball season. Oh, great. That That's super exciting. Yes, I know we're very much looking forward to getting our hands on that. And this may be something you kind of explore in the book, but I'm just interested on, on how you feel about it. So especially recently, all the attention or a lot of the attention has really been on like those big money football conferences. Yet you, you look back and over the past decade, this small basketball only conference has won four national titles. Like, how is that possible kind of with all the focus going on in these other conferences and what is it that you think sets the Big East apart? Yeah I think what's interesting is a couple of things number one I think the Big East you know branding name recognition tradition that still resonates um, with people in the Northeast with players in the Northeast you know the, the kids that 
want to go to Villanova and Providence and Seton Hall, they understand really what Big East basketball is about. So there's still a natural attraction to go to school there, which makes the teams good. But I also think um, there's something to be said, especially I think we see it more and more these days with schools and programs that really know what their identity is. And, you know, the Big East does. There's no confusion here. This is not like, oh, are we a football conference? Are we a basketball conference? No, no, they, they're all in on basketball and the schools are all in on basketball and the programs, you know, the ones that especially are at the top and succeeding like Villanova particularly know who they are and what, what works for them. And I think that's why they win. I, I really think sometimes the more you pare it down, the simpler it becomes. And, and in that regard, the Big East is kind of streamlined. As a, as a Villanova grad and as someone who has a brother at Providence now and parents <laughs> who graduated from Providence, I can say that is still very strong. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. So you're talking about the, the conference, the division rivals, if you will. Uh, focusing on the non-conference a little bit, just obviously with the climate that we're in. With all the COVID cancellations, how much do you think the – scarcity of the high profile non-conference games like the Gonzaga Baylor game the mm -hmm. UVA Nova game literally an hour ago that just got canceled how much did, does the fact that those games don't exist anymore factor into your view of a team so will not playing those games change seeding at all down the stretch yeah it's going to be I you know it's going to be such a curiosity I'll be honest with you because I don't know you know how the committee is going to weigh all of these things because you really are comparing like you know apples and bicycles it's not even apples and oranges you know for some of these leagues because it's just wildly different um so how do you figure it out i think it's going to be a lot of eye test honestly i think the the committee is going to be like you know i know a good team when i see it regardless of the level of competition it's playing right i mean you can look at a team and say that's a team that can pretty much compete with anybody regardless of the level of the league it's in. So, you know, I, I just think um, it's going to be very interesting how that all plays out, you know, because the big 10 and the big 12 are really, really good. The SEC is okay. The PAC 12 is okay. Big, big East is pretty good. So how do they factor all of those things in? Because as you said, people are trying to play one another non-conference. They just can't pull it off. So I think there's just going to have to be a lot of care given to watching teams perform as much as you can and really getting in a handle on their personnel, on their availability, how they look in a game, you know, are they playing consistently? What kind of rhythm are they in? Um, it's going to be really hard, but I said all along that any coach that stands up on selection Sunday and complains about not making a tournament or a seating, like I'm going to throw my shoe at him. Cause this year, like it's just, <laughs> you just can't, you just can't, you just got to make do this year. Yeah. There is so many window. factors. Yeah. No. And I agree with that. Cause like, just, just say, look at the big East. I mean, UConn's played three games, Butler's played one and DePaul hasn't even started their season. So I, <laughs> I know. I, so you kind of have to eyeball it. I have no idea how the committee is going to actually put these teams apart, but kind of along those similar lines then with COVID, and how things are going and things as we know in the country are, are not getting any better. What are the chances you think that conferences have to switch and kind of put a bubble into place to be able to get their conference schedule done? Yeah, I was talking to Val Ackerman, the Big East commissioner, about that just last week. And she said, you know, they're not there yet. Um, and she hopes that they don't get there, that as they get into the conference season, there's a hope that with each team having comparable protocols where you're not trying to cross-pollinate with 
another team who has different standards, it becomes less complicated. But she did say that on the back burner, <clears throat> the league does have a plan that they could pivot to in a matter of a couple of weeks, really, where they basically send everybody to a couple of cities or one city and say, play here. So that is something that is, you know, on the table. It's not out of the question. Um, I think that is not anybody's first choice for a thousand reasons. Just it's expensive. It's complicated. It's pulling kids off of campus. It's really, it's a lot to pull off. Um, so I don't think that's what they want to do, but if they have to do it, they can. So that's what's going to be interesting. And obviously, as you know, that's what the NCAA tournament's going to be. It's basically all, all indie all the time. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's, that's interesting. And I do think it's possible that they go to it. Of course, like you said, hopefully they don't have to. Uh, another thing that would hope is would help is that if everyone wears their masks, as you pointed out, in one of your good. latest articles, right? Be nice if, yeah, uh, if not everyone, complicated. yeah, not, not too bad. I, I like that he said the way, the indie way, because that's exactly what it's been. It's, it's these teams just kind of going on their own accord. And when we were in Bubbleville, part of me was just hoping that we would stay there the entire time because that seems like <laughs> right. the safest way to go. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's why the NCAA tournament, you know, yeah, this is the NCAA tournament. I mean, basically the NCAA is saying like, if we can get everybody to indie, we can control it. And so it's like control what you can control, but we're going to control all of it. Um, so basically they're going to get teams into Indianapolis and say, okay, now you're on our schedule, you're on our rules, and we're going to make this thing work as best as we can. Yeah, I think that's the best attitude to have. Yep. And so looking back last year at the conference to this year, how do you see the Big East recovering this year after how competitive 1-11 to 11 the teams were last year? I remember people saying that this, the Big East was the most balanced and competitive conference, and unfortunately we didn't get – the end of the season yeah. where it all could have come into fruition. But how do you recover from the competitive standpoint? And then even more specifically, the loss of Miles Powell and Marcus Howard. Sure. I mean, right. I think what you have to figure out is who these teams are, you know, kind of what the team that lost players like Marcus Howard and Miles Powell, what their identity is. But, you know, hey, I mean, the fact that, that, you know, Marquette went and beat Creighton, you know, this week, that, that shows me something that, you know, um, they're not, yeah, they're not going away. So, you know, I think the league might have a, a little bit of growing pains for some teams. I think, I still think Seton Hall personally, because of the experience they get back, they can still be pretty dangerous. I think, you know, I think Villanova is established. I think Creighton is established. Then it comes, and you know, I know Xavier's off to a hot start. Can they maintain it when the, you know, the competition ratchets up? That's a big question. So, Adding UConn, um, I think I think UConn's a really good team, and I think UConn adds a nice flavor to the league this year. So it's just more like the, the Butlers and the Providences and the Georgetowns, can they kind of reconfigure and find their rhythm again? Um, and that, that will that will be the telling, you know, of, of the really the flavor of the league is how they are top to bottom. But, you know, I, I, I really think I really think every league right now is kind of trying to figure itself out because teams are stopping and starting and practicing and not practicing. Nobody's in a rhythm. You know, I don't think the Big East is any better or worse in that circumstance than anybody out there right now because nobody really knows what they're about, I don't think. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And Georgetown looks pretty good against us. Yes, so. exactly, exactly. And that's, you know, and look, they went through a lot of chaos, as we all know. And so the question then becomes, you know, was the chaos necessary? You know, was it like, you know, addition by subtraction? That, that's what we have to figure out from that, that whole situation down there. 
Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, talking about some of the players that have left, the players that are still here, we mentioned Powell and Howard. I'm interested to see if you think that there's anyone at, you know, any of these Big East schools right now that you think has the potential to, A, have the staying power of those guys to stay through four years, and B, make that type of impact. Yeah, that's going to be good. It's interesting to see, isn't it? I mean, look, I mean, certainly Colin Gillespie has, right? I mean, you know, sure. <laughs> we, I, I think people tend to forget about him, myself included sometimes, because he's just sort of like this engine that keeps on revving. He's been around, it feels like, for 25 years. <laughs> um, you know, so in that, I, I think he is this year's version of that player. He might not have the, he's not the, the shooter that they are. That's not his game plan, but he is every bit imp- as impactful, I think, to Villanova and to a league as they are. You know, I'll be curious to see a saying in Villanova, like what Jeremiah Robinson Earl does. I don't know. Like, I don't know that he's going to bolt as fast as everybody thinks he will. And if he does stick around, I mean, we're on to something because he's a special player. So, you know, I, I think we have to kind of wait and see who else in the league kind of grows up a little bit, if you will. You know, Marcus Zagorowski at, at, at Creighton is a special player too. I mean, he's a player of the year candidate who can shoot like Miles Powell and Marcus Howard. He, you know, I, right now, everybody is going to be eclipsed by Luca Garza. So, right now, you know, for, for the <laughs> exactly. short term, at least, literally and figuratively, because he's gigantic. Uh, so, you know, I think we have to kind of wait and see how things shake out. But I think there are players in the league who have the chance to impact some really good teams. And when it all shakes out in March, we might be talking about some guys in the Big East that maybe we didn't think we would be. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really interesting way to think about it because what we've what we do recaps after every Villanova game and our recurring theme is that we better make the most out of Robinson Earl before he leaves. Yeah. And, yeah. and maybe that's not a, a steadfast thing. Yeah, I don't know. I'm curious. I mean, I, I'm not saying yes or no. I mean, I, I talked to him and I've spoken to his mother and, you know, not in terms, not in terms of being of a player, but in terms of the mentality, he reminds me a little bit of Jalen Brunson. Like, he's not in a hurry. You know, I mean, he understands the value of sticking around and maximizing his experience. And that's not to say, like, if the NBA comes calling next, you know, next month or next year or whatever and says, hey, you're a lottery pick, then he has to go. Of course, I'm not saying he, he's foolish. But I don't think he's somebody who is thinking, how fast can I get out of here? I have never gotten that sense from him. It's, that's kind of similar the way you're talking about it about Sadiq Bey. Like it just so yeah, happened that correct. the year was good when he left and he took advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, right. It's like, you know, Dante DiVincenzo or, or long ago Kyle mm-hmm. Lowry. Like when the opportunity comes, you have to go. You can't be foolish and pass it by because you don't know. But I think there's a, there's a fine line between not passing by your opportunity and not being in such a hurry that you assume that you got to do something when you don't necessarily. And I, I, I think that that Robinson Earl is very grounded in his approach in that regard. It definitely seems like it. He's, he's very composed as only a sophomore. Uh, my yeah. last question for you is about UConn. And I'd love to hear just what your thoughts are on UConn entering the conference and how it's going to grow the conference and the school itself. Yeah, well, for the school, I mean, it is just a no-brainer. I mean, UConn was, to me, the biggest loser of conference realignment in so many ways. You know, they kind of went all in by default on their football program that really had no history tradition to go all in on. They had like, you know, one good run to the Fiesta Bowl and everyone lost their mind. And then they got shuffled around and didn't fit anywhere and ended up in, you know, not to put the American Athletic Conference down, there are good teams, but it's kind of like your Ellis Island of, of conferences. There's like a little bit of everybody in there, nobody quite fits. And they lost their identity um, entirely. So for UConn, 
going back to the Big East makes so much sense. I mean, and then you take, you know, a school in Connecticut with all the traditional ties to the league, and then you throw in Danny Hurley from New Jersey, you know, his father's situation, him playing at Seton Hall. It is like such a recruiting perfect marriage. So I think, you know, UConn will raise the standard of the Big East. I mean, Villanova, I think the one thing Villanova has needed is a a team to really kind of go neck and neck with to really challenge them annually. I mean, as good as Creighton and Marquette have been in Seton Hall here and there, it's not been like neck and neck for players. It's not been that fight that it used to be. And if UConn can assume that position, it makes everybody better. I I think um, Val Ackerman, I thought, said it really well. She said, adding UConn, you have a program that is capable of winning a national championship immediately. Like, you can't say that about every school in the country. You can say that about UConn. UConn has the Structure, the infrastructure, the investment, the idea, the, the experience, that's a team that can win a national championship. And when you add that kind of a caliber of a team to your league, you just elevate everything. No, I love that. On the women's side, too, which is exciting. Uh, well, exactly, exactly. And, I mean, that goes without saying. I mean, for women's basketball, I mean, there, there is no other, obviously, that's gold standard. And, and that's equally important because you want to be known as the league that has the teams that can compete and make it to the final four. And so everyone knows Villanova can. And everyone thinks like every once in a while, hmm, maybe, you know, Seton Hall can catch lightning in a bottle or maybe Creighton can catch lightning in a bottle. But there's a difference between that and saying, oh, UConn could win it pretty much every year once they get the players in, in, in line. Yeah, sure. And I think a lot of that comes back to coaching, as you say, with Ariema, of course, on the women's side. And then Hurley is just fantastic. What he did at Rhode Island and what he's building at UConn. I completely agree that I think they're a contender. Uh, and then yeah. one, one more for you, because we Definitely want to respect your time. Um, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts here. So we, we talk about balance of the conference. So look at the schools that have kind of struggled over the last few years, Georgetown, St. John's, DePaul. Of those three, which, ones, which one do you think is the closest one to kind of putting it all together and starting to finish higher up in the standings? <laughs> I'd say not DePaul since they can't even play. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> I don't know if they're ever going to play a game again. Um, you know, it's, Huh, it's interesting. I was a real big believer in Georgetown until everything sort of went sideways um, because I really felt like Patrick kind of was branding a personality and an identity back on that team that was kind of, I don't say it was missing because I think JT3 in the heyday had it, but it kind of got lost a little bit in the, in, right. in the shuffle. Um, I still think that they are the most likely. I just, I'm not sure... I think St. John's remains a really hard sell right now, just because of New York and people, you know, back in the day, people wanted to stay in the city. They don't anymore. Um, It's a different mindset. And I just think Patrick's aura, if you will, still resonates uh, at that presence. (laughs) His presence. Yeah. And I mean, look, I think people, I think people understandably questioned whether or not he could actually coach, but he was a coach. I mean, he was in the NBA. For a long time too. Right, exactly. So he walked off the street and said, yo, I'm going to try this. He knows what he's doing. You know, so I think Georgetown can get it together the quickest. But I will argue that both of them, both they and, and St. John's, are really, you know, along with adding UConn and, and things, if Georgetown and St. John's can get back to kind of close to where they were even, those that name branding that name recognition in that league it would just elevate things to another level like they are the secret honestly in my opinion to taking the big east for as great as it's been putting it to the other level those two schools 
are the secret to making it happen. And I think, I think Georgetown, you know, I just, I, I, I guess I have a lot more confidence in Patrick than, than, you know, right now in his ability to get this done. Yeah. And I think that's perfect. I, I really do think that UConn, Georgetown, St. John's, you, you give them yeah. the relevance that, you know, they've, they've had over the years and you add that to this league add that in with all the different teams that you've had in, you know, the Marquettes, the Xavier's Creighton's and how they've really progressed. <laughs> it's already a great conference as we talk about. It's, it's really exciting. And I lied. I have one more question for you, but it's a fun sure. one. Um, I know about your affinity for this through Twitter. So I just have, cause I share it as well. So I have to ask you, what is your go-to Wawa order? <laughs> it's like my favorite thing in the world. So as a, as a New Yorker that got uh, up planted and went to Villain over four years, discovered Wawa there. I, I just, I have to ask you about it. Well, I mean, first of all, I love their coffee. So I always have to have it's their so coffee. Like, like, like it's the best coffee. I don't like Starbucks giving my Wawa coffee. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, you know, for lunch, I mean, I'm pretty basic. I'll take a turkey and American shorty with a little bit of, uh, a, a little oil and vinegar, some lettuce yeah. and some hot peppers. Uh, that gets it done. You know, but I like their smoothies. Yes. Uh, everything. You can't, you can't, I'm sorry. It's Wawa. It's like, it's just people who, I've had friends who come in and are like, what in the world? And then I take them and they're like, oh, that's a mistake. See? Yeah. It's not like, I'm like, oh, it's just like 7-Eleven. I'm like, oh my God, that's no. blasphemy. Nothing like <laughs> never. <laughs> never, <No>. never. <laughs> oh my not. God. In Connecticut, no. that's what people say. People say the right. 7-Eleven and the 7-Elevens we have around here are so disgusting that disgusting. it's, and, it's and such and an you're insult. Talking, you're talking to a girl who went to Penn State, so I had to put up with, like, Godforsaken Unimart and Sheets for years, and that was before <laughs> Sheets, like, kind of got fancy. Like, Sheets was trying to be, like, Wawa now. Back in the day, Sheets was basically a gas station that had lousy coffee, so it was it was not pleasant. So, no, my daughter came home from, drove home from Alabama. She goes to the University of Alabama. She got into Virginia, where there is a Wawa, and she was, like, giddy to stop at Wawa. It was, like, her first stop. Oh, so. you have to. No, it, I it, miss yeah. it. Uh, I miss oh. Wawa. It's, yeah, who doesn't? It really, it's the best. <laughs> but Dana, thank you so much for your time today. We, we really appreciate it. We're looking forward to the book coming out next thank fall. You. Of course, you can read all of Dana's work on The Athletic and follow her at Dana O'Neill Writer on Twitter. Dana, thank you so much. You bet. Great to talk to you guys. Take care. That was awesome, Dana. Thank you. You're welcome. Anytime. Give me a shout if you ever want to do it again. Take care. Perfect. Definitely. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye, guys. All right. Well, Pat, once again, we're so thankful for to Dana O'Neill for doing that. I think it was an awesome interview and we had a ton of fun. Oh, it was so much fun. That was just She just gave such great answers. She is the person to talk to and ask about all things Big East. She's got her finger on the pulse for college basketball um, and great to hear about her thoughts on Wawa as well. <laughs> that was a nice touch by you there. <laughs> Where, where, do you have Wawa's where you are? Well, now you're in Pennsylvania. Now, but at yeah, home? exactly. Uh, at home, no. But luckily where I am currently stationed, yes. Which is yeah. just, it's the best. There's there's no other way to put it. Now I'm stuck with 7-Eleven in Connecticut. And actually our 7-Eleven just went out of business, which is an ode to how disgusting it was. So. As as Dana said, Wawa and 7-Eleven are never to be compared. Ever. <laughs> never. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we got the Big East basketball down. Uh, just a reminder, Villanova plays tomorrow night, so we will have our normal recap video up after that game, so be sure to tune, tune in for that. Um, should we switch it to the craziest numbers of the week? Let's do it. All right, I will start. I'm, I'm going to the NFL, and I've been here for a while, so I promise next week I will bring something different. 
But I wanted to talk about the Monday night football game between the Bears, uh, excuse me, the Browns and the Ravens. The Bears would have been a much different story. They're not Um, scoring that many points. No. (laughs) Pat and I were talking about it before we started recording. Possibly one of the greatest games of the season, a resurgence of Lamar Jackson, another notch in Baker Mayfield's belt, uh, as in he's really coming into his own here and he can be the franchise quarterback that Cleveland needs him to be. And now the playoff picture looks even more interesting than it did two weeks ago when we did our playoff push episode. So things are really getting interesting for that the last couple of weeks of the NFL. But in our, our usual way of giving credit to athletes and storylines that we feel aren't really getting the limelight, I'm going to take us to kicking. And the craziest number I heard this week was 90.8%. And that is the highest field goal percentage in NFL history. It belongs to Justin Tucker. He has possibly cemented himself as one of the best kickers in the NFL. I think Adam Vinatieri might hold that still. But Justin Tucker's statistics are literally pop off the page. This year alone, he's 22 of 24. He's 39 of 40 from extra point. uh, That category. Career, he's 337 out of 341 extra point made. And then that 90.8%, 287 out of 316 career field goal attempts. He's a machine. And this also stuck out to me because I really feel like special teams and kicking units have regressed this year for some reason. And I can't even rely on an extra point being made which I can't remember feeling (laughs) this uncertain about in years past. The distance is longer now, but it really is a coin flip if the kicker is going to make the extra point, but you don't get that uncertainty with Justin Tucker, and that 90.8% is a perfect example of why. For my money, he is a surefire Hall of Famer, just at the kicker position. No doubt. He is just the the difference that he brings you. So you hear it all the time that you you never really notice a kicker unless you have a bad one. Well, you notice him because he's so good. He he changes games, and there are, I I would say zero other kickers currently in the league that can change games. And Justin Tucker is that guy that can go out there. You know he can make long field goals. You know if you send him out there, he's most likely going to make it. Period. No matter what the distance is, doesn't matter if it's in a clutch situation. Justin Tucker seems to always come through. And, and for my money, like I said, surefire Hall of Famer. He's phenomenal. And I mean, last night was no easy kick. What was it? 55 yards at night in the wind and cold in Cleveland, in Cleveland for, for yeah. a December divisional game. And he drilled. He drilled it because of course he did. He's Justin Tucker. And I couldn't. It, he's Sorry, a weapon. Go ahead. No, no, no. I'm, I'm finishing up. But he is an absolute weapon for Baltimore that just no one else can. No one else has that type of weapon. No one else has that type of kicker that you can send out there with that amount of trust. So it does not surprise me that that is his field goal percentage. The fact that they're rushing Justin Tucker out there when they potentially could have run one more play at 50 at the 55 yard line or however long the 55 55 yard kick. Yeah, 55 yard kick. That is not a surefire thing for anyone, especially no. in Cleveland with the game on the line. But they have so much confidence in their guy. And I again, I couldn't believe, you know, on those last drives, you wait until you at least in the 40s for the game-winning kick. But no doubt, Justin, Justin Tucker goes out there. And I really, it, it's been important to me how many kickers have struggled this season. 
And Justin Tucker, Mason Crosby is another one of those guys. They just haven't struggled. No, no, they, they really haven't. And like you said, you kind of see how important it is to have a good kicker, <laughs> a kicker that you can rely on that can come through in these situations. And Justin Tucker's the man. He's he, There is no one I would trust more in the NFL with a big kick than him. Yeah, and now he has the number and the accolade to prove it. So I, I thought that was cool. Again, kickers, they're game winners, but of course you're still talking about Lamar Jackson and his scrambling and his fourth down pass. But Justin Tucker was just as important in that game. He was the, the reason that the Ravens beat the Browns on Monday night. So that was important to me. 90.8, highest in NFL history. Jeez. Certainly. <laughs> All right, right, let's hear yours. Yes, I will get into mine. So mine is not for a low-profile player, but it's something that we've all been waiting for, and it's finally here. My number is 525, and that is the amount of days that have passed since Kevin Durant signed with the Brooklyn Nets before he played his first game, a preseason game, with them on Sunday night, where he played 24 minutes and scored 15 points. It's finally here. Brooklyn's era is here. Their chance is here. I mean, this is a team that has struggled with relevancy really for since they made it to back-to-back finals appearances in the early 2000s. They tried that desperate trade for, for Garnett and Pierce, which set the franchise back years. Um, and Sean Marks has only been able to, over the past couple of years, claw them out of that. And now it's showtime. They're going to be a, a, a massive ticket. Listen, they're the first game of the season of the for the NBA season on the 22nd in Brooklyn against Golden State and all eyes are going to be on Durant and Irvin especially Durant being that he's coming back from the Achilles injury hasn't played in in a year and a half and will finally finally make that Brooklyn debut I feel like we talk a lot on this podcast about decisions that hamstring clubs or, or yes. teams <laughs> but that, I mean that was that's the the gold standard. Don't go the way the Nets went because look how deep it brought them into those trenches. The biggest compliment I can give them now is that they are James Harden's destination of choice. So they have now become an enviable place to play basketball. And it's because of the players that they've brought there, the coaching staff they've brought on. And you're right that this is their year. They're going to disappoint. Their fans are going to be disappointed if this isn't the year that everyone has been expecting the Brooklyn fan base has been expecting for literally eternity and they have the pieces it seems on paper like everything is there I'm super curious to see the chemistry between Durant and Irving I'm super I'm super curious to see if anything does happen with Harden and how might that how how that might change anything but right now on paper they are a serious team in the east yeah, no, they they certainly are. And it, what's really interesting is, well, first off, just the, the contrast that we just talked about, Giannis staying, and now you've got Durant and Irvin ending up in Brooklyn and looking at a possible James Harden addition as well. I think the coaching staff, as you mentioned, is actually one of the most intriguing parts of this team. Steve Nash is the coach. He's never coached professionally before in, in, a, in a head coaching capacity. And now he's being trusted to take over a championship contending team. Things, of course, will be interesting with Durant and Kyrie being there. And Kyrie said in an interview, what, a month or two ago, that he believes that there is no real head coach, that everyone can be the coach. Yeah, he always... Yeah, he kind of walked that back this week, um, given 
Nash has props, but you know that there's potential for some issues with the guys that are around. And then the other thing is, if they make that Harden trade, I mean, part of what's made the Nets so attractive is that they have these young, developing, good players. I mean, Jared Allen, Dinwiddie, and Karis LeVert are all really good players, and they're part of why Brooklyn is going to be a contender. So if they want to make a Harden deal, I'm imagining two, if not all three of them, have to be in that deal on top of draft picks. It, it's a big ask, but they they certainly are going to be the team that's got a massive amount of scrutiny on them. They're going to have a massive amount of eyes. They're going to be on national television all the time. And 525 days later, we finally saw Kevin Durant, and we're about a week away from seeing him make his regular season debut. I love that. It's so exciting. And again, I mean what Nash will be able to do with this team on and off the court. Because having those two personalities is also tough to merge and make sure that everybody's feeling connected and that they're good mentors for the young guys. Karis LeVert is a tough sell. Like, Mm -hmm. having to lose him, I mean. And that's part of the reason why Harden wants to go there because he's also conscious of the package that it will take to land him. And other teams like Philadelphia don't have the assets and the young core that a team like Brooklyn has. So, I mean, Dana was talking about landing spots and wanting to be in the right market. Brooklyn is a great market to be in, and I only see Brooklyn resurging from here. It doesn't really matter to me how long Durant and Irving stay. I think they're contenders and attractive spots for years to come, and a lot of that has to do with Nash. And we'll see how Giannis and his Bucks clash with the new look Brooklyn Nets as well, and which will be very interesting to watch in the Eastern Conference. But that will do it for this week's show. Have to say, again, just a massive thank you to Dana O'Neill for giving us the time to talk to her for what was a fantastic interview. We are so grateful that she was able to do so. Um, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DidYouHearPod to let us know what you think and make sure to subscribe to the show on itunes so you never miss an episode leave a rating that helps us out a ton and follow it on spotify but emma that's a wrap go cats make sure to tune in tomorrow